Welcome to the Phase World Podcast, engaging conversations that cross the boundaries between business, art, and the digital world. You know, it was interesting. I think why I got into documentary first, um, again, this, you know, this being my first film, was that I had been outdoors my whole life, very active. My parents gave me a great childhood where I traveled a lot and I was able to see a lot of the world. And I think it created a curiosity in people and culture and what, what really connects us all. And that's kind of been something that's kept me going is that I'm very interested in not necessarily exposés or I, I really love the human psyche. Like, what is it that drives us? Like, because it is such an interesting conundrum, especially when you grow up religious, which I'm not anymore. But, you know, to get to the origin point of humanity or what, are, you know, what are the three questions? It's um, why are we here? Where are we going? Where did we come from? Welcome back to Face World Podcast. This is your host, Fei Wu. After interviewing Chris Yen, an actress, entrepreneur, and fashion designer on Phase World, she and her friend Dewey helped connect me with a young woman named Courtney Marsh, who is a filmmaker and director. In the past few months, I have received over about a dozen recommendations for who should be on uh, Phase World as the next guest, and Courtney was one of them. Her story simply blew me away on so many levels. More importantly, I feel that her story is one that many can relate to, including millennials, working professionals, and even parents. Her journey helps demystify the definition of a millennial, a generation often referred to as lazy, unambitious, but in reality, today I see more and more millennials, especially women, to not only work hard, going after that corner office jobs, but trying to leave a mark, help change the world, even if it's for less money or no money at all. So to me, I think to many people out there, that's courage and determination. Courtney's latest film is a short documentary about a 16-year-old teenager in Vietnam disabled by the effects of Agent Orange, who then inspired to become an artist and clothing designer. I didn't know anything about Agent Orange before this podcast. Agent Orange is a chemical sprayed over the Vietnam jungles during the Vietnam War to deprive the northern Vietnamese uh, army of their food and cover. But unfortunately, after 20 years of the war, a teenager like Chow living in a peace camp has been disabled by the effect of the chemicals since birth. I teared up less than a minute into the film, but the everlasting message and, and the real impact puts a smile back on my face. The film isn't about judging the past, pointing fingers, but rather providing options for people today around the world to take part in helping people still living in and impacted by Agent Orange today. Chow Beyond the Lines was shortlisted with nine other documentaries from 74 entries submitted to the 88th Academy Awards in Documentary Short Subject. The final five nominations are scheduled to uh, announce on January 14, 2016. After our interview was recorded, I reached back out to Courtney and asked her about how she's able to support herself while working full-time for eight years on this particular film without a predictable salary or income. 
she gladly disclosed the information, which I included on my blog post, faceworld.com, for you to check out. You can also find the film's trailer, Facebook page, our show notes, and, and the storyline from Courtney directly on FaceWorld as well. Before we begin the podcast, I have a very special announcement as we enter into year 2016. FaceWorld has expanded beyond just a podcast platform and is now offering consulting services to small business, individuals, and students. You can visit faceworld.com and choose Work with Faye to learn more. I hope you enjoy the show. Oh, are you in the office today? Uh, my office being my home, yes. And I'm actually going to put on a pair of headphones like you. So just, I'm sorry, hang on one second. <laughs> yeah, we, we work from home. This is actually where all the editing gets done. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, it was quite a quite an endeavor. So it's nice that it's finally getting out, and you know uh, that we got we've been getting the recognition so far. It's been nice because you know again it's been a long, a lot of time in this apartment, just you know hoping and uh, you know eating Trader Joe's frozen pizzas and just editing all day. <laughs> wow, for yeah. some for some reason, I, I completely understand where you're coming from because even with just podcasting and oh, I can imagine yeah and I do know I, I don't do nearly the amount of work compared to you know Chris the Tibbet on beat from on being or NPR I mean that that we're talking about a team of engineers you have like 15 Absolutely. 20 people uh, working for you but you know I you know doing running a podcast is, is very difficult oh. but one of the yeah, reasons when you get there that day you'll know everybody's job and you'll know how to run it right <laughs> yeah yeah once you get there um you know first of all Courtney thank you so much for spending the time with me and in the past few days um you know thanks to Chris Yen and I I was just simply thrilled to discover you who you are and I've watched the you know Chow Beyond the Lines and was immediately touched by your work so Thank you so much for joining me. Well, thank you very much for having me. This is a real pleasure. Awesome. So, well, we, we just start talking about the frozen pizza at Trader Joe's, and that, that's something <laughs> I'll remember forever. Great. <laughs> <laughs> so, in, in case some of my audience may not know you or your work very well, um, you know, going with some assumptions because I've uh, read a lot about you in the past few days, um, do you mind maybe providing like an introduction of who you are and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. My name is Courtney Marsh, and I am a filmmaker. I'm currently based in Los Angeles. I'm originally from South Florida, and um, I have basically uh, just been making short films up to this point, but I came up working. I went to UCLA Film School as an undergraduate and worked for about seven years in the camera department, which gave me a lot of education, and through that time was making movies. And uh, this movie that we'll be talking about today, Child Beyond the Lines, was actually the first movie I made and the last movie to be completed. So it's kind of the wrapper of all my films and the only documentary I've ever done. Wow. Yeah. I didn't realize that. How early yeah. did you start that work? Um, Chow Beyond the Lines. Mm -hmm. Basically, um, I didn't know much about uh, filmmaking. And um, when I, I came to UCLA with the intention of getting into film school or attempting it, and I did um, get in. 
And basically one of my good friends was Vietnamese and I became, you know, very involved with his family and really enjoyed the culture. And we decided to go to Vietnam to make a movie about street kids there. And I was about 20 years old at the time and we, um, you know, I raised some money and different things like that. And uh, yeah, I had turned 21 right before the trip. We went over to Vietnam and because in the country you have to um, get permission to shoot there. Uh, people had found, heard about us and a TV producer who was based in Vietnam approached us and said, you know, okay, I get you guys want to do a movie about street kids, but come with me to this camp and see if it changes your mind. Mm -hmm. And so I went to this camp, uh, Lang Ho Ben. It's kind of like this small two, two or three floors tucked away in the back of, maternity, of a maternity hospital. And um, I didn't really know what Agent Orange was. And the uh, it was quite a shocker to me, you know, I just kind of grew up, you know, upper middle class white girl, like no idea really. And um, I was kind of um, just really blown away just because the, you know, everyone's visually blown away at first by something so out of the ordinary, um, just because they were beyond disabilities. There were, for lack of a better word, deformities and very young kids though seemed to be so happy and fine. And we would watch a lot that these people would come into the hospital and, and take photos of them. And they were like poster children for this cause, Agent Orange, for this, you know, um, this campaign against the chemical companies. But they were just kids. So I was to my friend, I said, you know, let's put the camera away. Let's volunteer for two weeks and just see if we get, you know, see what it is. And so because I was 21 at the time, Chow was only 15. We were so close in age, we would play soccer every day. And um, I was just like, can we film your guys' lives from your point of view? And that's kind of how it all started. So kind of crazy. I um, definitely bit off more than I could chew at the age of 21 and not really having picked up a camera too many times. But it spanned out into this eight-year adventure or journey and struggle to follow Chow, try to um, you know go after his dreams. Wow. And yeah. you've been following him literally in the past eight years on and off or uh, yeah on and off um basically so i was there in 2007 for about two and a half months uh volunteered almost every weekday and we would just let the cameras roll for better or for worse and then when i came back i had imagined we were going to make it a feature about like five of the kids we had followed five of the kids but no one had the story arc like chow and Unfortunately, my friend who I went to Vietnam with, who was Vietnamese, decided he didn't want to be a part of the project. Um, he wanted to do other things. And so I was trying to find a translator. And during that time, Chow went home. He left the camp. So I couldn't get a hold of him. And his, his house is in like the rural, you've seen it, it's in the rural area, no internet. This was beyond, before Vietnam at Facebook. And so then it was reconnecting and going a million different ways with the film, just trying to make it something. And it dawned on me not too long ago, I'm like, this needs to be a short. And all my footage was centered around Chow. And I was like, this needs to be a movie about Chow. So. You're clearly passionate about it. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, when, when somebody like yourself make a decision, in this case, a very difficult one, and that just intrigued me. And even just by watching the trailer, which, by the way, we're definitely going to include in the blog post as well, along with this audio piece and all oh, the awards and all the film festivals that you've been so far. You have chosen a path for yourself. And I know that for Chow, um, you know, sort of for the deformities and the, the disabilities that many of the kids that, that have today, 
that clearly was not their choice. Um, but this is your choice to follow them and to give them a voice, um, to make them known to the world. And I think it's really incredible. And I wonder what what did you what was the trigger point you know was there a, a, a day was it a data point like or a series of data points over the course of a long period of time for you to decide that wow this is this is what i'm going to do for the next 10 years possibly longer and you're your baby back then like what what was the trigger for that um you're saying basically because when i started this i really didn't know it was going to be this long are you saying what was the trigger point sorry do you mind saying that one more time what's the trigger point for what the trigger point for you to say that this is what I'm going to focus on. I think you, you did answer that question, which means like many of us go into a project without knowing sort of the ins and outs. Like we really don't know what it might entail. So perhaps a better question would be fast forward three, let's just say three to four years into the project and you look back, it's like, oh my God, I've been eating ramen noodles all day and I've dedicated <laughs> my young life in my 20s right and I have a list of questions you know I imagine your friends would be probably out there partying and you know all these things and then you're like okay I have a decision when I'm 20 you know you may be 23 or 24 to say I can continue to do this and at this point I probably know there'll be at least another few years or I can drop it off I can just quit right now well, there, I would be lying if I didn't say there were a few points where I definitely wanted to throw in the towel. Uh, it came really close to that because I was spending, I was working as a production assistant at the time and not making a ton of money and trying to make narrative movies too because it was such a weight game with the documentary. I mean, we had 60 hours of footage from 2007 alone and it's all in Vietnamese and I don't speak fluent Vietnamese, uh, barely any actually. And, um, my whole thing, I, I can't leave things unfinished. Like I cannot start things and leave them unfinished. And I knew and I always knew and I knew when I got there and the feeling of when I left on the plane, I, I knew that it was something special. It's funny that you say, you know, people going out and partying on this stuff. I think to be honest, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I lived alone for a while, just trying to focus on my stuff. I, you know, I'd work all day, I'd come home. I try to work on the movie, I try to work on any of my films or write or do anything. And I think that when you're in an industry like this, um, you have to be that dedicated. Like it's just, there's so many people who want this and who are passionate. And, you know, I felt that with when I found um, Chow, that that was something that kind of came to me and therefore I had a responsibility to it. And it was a point of view that had never been told. It was. It was something as a young as a young adult that I so badly could relate to because I couldn't imagine living in a world where people come in and take photos of you and you know these kids don't care about Agent Orange or anything like that and you know people really wanted to make it a political film and I think that wanting to tell the human side of it is kind of what kept me going and especially three years ago my producer Jerry Frank right when I was about to throw in the towel um, we had just started working together and I was like, you know, I want to show you this footage. I, a long time ago, I shot this stuff that was fantastic. And he saw it and he was like, yeah, we, uh, we have to finish this. So when Jerry came on board, he found Dewey, uh, my companion, my partner in crime. And, um, she was a godsend because we, for three years, all three of us just every day worked on this so hard for nothing. And, I don't know. I guess it was a labor of love. I hope I'm answering your question. You it are. Was just, just it was just responsibility, you know, and wanting to finish it. So many people start things and don't finish it, and whether it's good or bad, it's a good experience to finish it, even if it's bad. 
and luckily in this case it's not the case but because you always learn something from it you know if you finish something bad and you have to go through the pain of finishing something you re- you wish you would have done different mm-hmm. um, which still there are moments in this movie that I wish I would have done different but you learn from that and there's no better experience than that so I guess a mixture of all those things <laughs> you know I hope you really um, I, I hope that the film really gets everything that um, it deserves you know getting really getting out there in, in public I hope I see it on you know Netflix one day front and center um, for recent films and that would be wonderful because you know I had no idea what agent uh, orange was uh, as of a few days ago no idea and and when I saw the description I was like what what do you mean by that so of course I went to the Wikipedia page and I realized that it just you know it's a it's a nation that's like traumatized and and then you know part of, one of my question was these kids are so young I know the film was made uh, you know you start shooting about eight years ago but they look so young to me and well the agent orange event was back in uh, 1960 to 1970 so mm-hmm. how did this happen uh, basically um, Asian orange was sprayed during the Vietnam War um, from well, it was over the course of 10 years. Basically, because the Northern Vietnamese, uh, it was, you know, they could do jungle warfare and they could hide in the dense forests of um, Vietnam under the Kennedy administration, there was a operation called Operation Ranch Hand, where we would spray defoliants over the uh, forest to kill the leaves and crops. Um, soldiers, you know, because this is also an issue that does affect Americans, American soldiers who sprayed it. Um, the government hired uh, chemical companies to make this and they they made it at uh, a very extreme amount, making it more dangerous than it should have been. Um, so basically they would spray it and in 48 hours the leaves would fall off the trees and we interviewed a lot of veterans and, you know, they told the veterans it's perfectly harmless to humans. They would, they would drop um, little leaflets to the Vietnamese people saying, you know, that it's helping them, that it's um, you know, it's ridding the Viet Cong of their food and cover, which indeed it very well was, but at the same time it as a byproduct was poisoning people in the land. And when it when it when it was sprayed, uh, it smelled very sweet on your skin. So neurologically you think, oh, this is this is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is dioxin, the main toxin in Agent Orange, has a half-life of 100 years in certain areas of soil. Mm-hmm. So the way Vietnam is too, the rice paddies are stacked. So if you're spraying 20 million gallons of this chemical over the course of 10 years, drenching Vietnam in it, that chemical is going to go into the food supply, it's going to go into animals, livestock, you know? So while the Americans who are just spraying it, living in it, have cancers, diabetes, they have so many, so many things, mm-hmm. Vietnam has been living with it. And the cleanup luckily has just begun. Uh, well, it's, it's on, underway and we're very close to a full cleanup in Vietnam by the year 2022. We have one more air base. Uh, if we continue to ask Congress to encourage them to give money towards the cause, by 2022, Vietnam can be Agent Orange free and hopefully ensure a better future for, for you know, the young kids. Mm. So, yeah. I see. I think basically because it, it impacts the, the land, the soil for so long, um, clearly, these kids are still very young today. Some probably their early twenties. Some are teens. But yeah, and still being yeah. born with deformities. I mean, it lives oh, wow. in. Yeah, it's it's ongoing. It, it doesn't just stop. The the thing is, like for example, Chow. It's like a lottery. 
Chow's older brother and younger sister are completely normal. He's the middle child and he's fully disabled um, or disabled. And his mother just drank water from a river. You know, like that's, it, it's a, you know, you don't know a genetic mutation if it's going to jump a generation. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the kids, one of Chow's brothers or sister could have the gene. So the problem is, is that it lives in fatty tissue and it, it, can, it continues to keep going. But the first step is the cleanup. And if we can stop that, you know, it, it eliminates things and, you know, but kids are still being born with um, being affected with dio- with extreme levels of dioxin in their bloodstream. Wow. So then, three generations later. Yeah. Mm, it makes makes sense now. I, I, I find myself um, to sometimes kind of get into the, the nerdy details is like, how is the cleanups going to take place? But, you know, certainly I, I don't, uh, I certainly won't put sort of put well, you in a position you really quickly that's actually something that's very interesting is that um because i'm in touch with charles bailey um he was a former um he worked with the ford foundation and he lived in hanoi and he saw the effects of it and he really you know was one of the major players in it and he just told me actually how they clean it up it's pretty wild basically they dig a certain amount of meters into the soil they extract the soil these are in the hot spots uh basically where the agent orange was kept etc cetera, etc cetera. And they boil it at three times the boiling point for one month straight in these like um, foot, like half a football field sized tanks. And they do that in it and it eliminates it from the soil. So there's one huge air base that's left. It was at the top of a hill. So basically everything drained down mm-hmm. into the surrounding area. So it's a larger cleanup. Da Nang is just almost done. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of wild. It's, I mean, that you know, that a chemical takes that much to get a chemical out of the soil, let alone knowing what it's just doing living in your body. It's pretty wild. Mm, wow. So, I, I guess one of uh, we'll get into uh, a chow a little bit here. I know that your documentary is mostly focused on him. And as I was watching with a fresh set of eyes for the first time, and um, you know. I'm also, as you can see, of uh, you know, I'm Asian and I'm traditional, uh, originally from Beijing, China, and this is a story that that feels very close to home. And um, I've visited and, and volunteered at children's hospitals in in Beijing, and um, you know, not quite the same uh, kinds of disabilities. But whenever I, you know, whenever you see children um, with you know, any sort of uh, ailment make you, especially in this extreme scenario, make you question is like, what, what is that we can do for them? And, and in this case, what really shocked my system is what Chow actually did for himself. Because, you know, he grew up in this environment, right? It's not an environment from what I can see in the film that's westernized or very modern, um, but an environment where everybody, including the nurses, the people working there, everybody's a Vietnamese. And I remember this woman calling out that, you know, he's drawing, but a dream is just a dream. I mean, the way she said it almost sounded familiar to me, like when I was a child, um, you know, things I wanted to do, the teacher's like, don't don't go there, don't do it. And right then and there, you know, a woman told him this thing, which I heard once, but I'm sure he has heard repeatedly throughout his entire life. And um, then so I wonder, how does someone in an environment like this, you know, tell himself a different story? You know, how does he believe in a different life that he could have? 
Well, I think that's the thing that makes Chow so amazing is that, you know, um, to be honest, uh, I understand where the nurses, they just have their best intentions in mind. They're like, okay, first of all, in Vietnam, just as a quick aside, is like art, you know, original art, it's a luxury, like, and that's not a job. That's not, you know, that is so hard to be an artist, you know? let alone he's disabled. They're like, absolutely not. Like, you know, so in, in a way, it really comes from a type of a, a care. But Chow must have had something so deep inside of him that told him that, that that was his escape. That is what he did. And I think in the film, in the moments where he, you know, without giving too much away, but he considers cheating or considers, he was just always going to stop at nothing. I wonder almost if everyone telling him no fueled him but I know he he had doubts like we all do I mean you know he wanted to give up too and I thought for a while I couldn't figure out if he was delusional a bit you know and because we all are all artists are all people trying to do something new or on their own we all kind of are because it's different from the safe route Mm -hmm. and I don't know and then when he he just really showed me that if you just put the blinders on, you focus on what you have rather than what you don't have, you can do it. And I, I wish I knew what it was, but it really taught me a lot. Chow's always thought very highly of himself. And I think when he left the camp, he really started to say like, you know, I've got to commit because without the art, I don't have anything, you know, without giving too much away about the movie. But I think that he just, that's something he needs. It's inherent in him. It's not a choice. And so I really accredit it to his perseverance and, again, just putting the blinders on. He never looked – and when he did allow himself to look at the negative, it was for a second. And then he back in focus. So I'm glad he was in the camp with other kids because some of them are even younger than he was. Yes. And, you know, I, I feel like, to your point, we're all doing something different and probably many other people won't approve. And unfortunately, at times, it's our parents. But – um, in this case, you know, I'm sure, you know, you might look around and some of your friends are living a very extravagant lives and um, there's something very, very particular expected out of you. And, you know, same with me that I I think I look around and people are saying like, oh, podcast is so cool. But I, you know, and I try to tell people how to do it. Some people actually want to try it. But most of them actually don't ever get started because, you know, yes. there, there's their blind, you know, they feel like I have my blind spots. You know, uh, you you live in a life, and I know you must have your struggles because I see both of us as uh, people in the, you know, who are creative and and trying to do creative work, and um, I feel the same way for for Chow. But I'm glad that he's there. He was there at the camp to influence that, uh, to influence other children, even though he might not believe in it, and other kids may have convinced themselves like he's just crazy. He's the artist kid here, but it will make them think. And I think that is really, really interesting. He was actually the oldest kid at the camp when I was there, him and another kid. And I think that he actually knew that it was, I think he felt a certain amount of responsibility to tell him to not, uh, which we don't include too much in the movie, but there's multiple interviews where he feels the need to make sure that these kids know that, you know, the nurses aren't the say all and they, they, they're limited in their thoughts and you know there's this scene that I wish I could have included in the movie and this little kid comes into the room and his ears the way his ears are formed they're like um they're in they and someone one of the kids is like 
can he hear? And Chow's like, well, of course he can hear. And someone else, someone else is like, no, he can't hear. And he goes, of course he can hear. Don't underestimate him. And I think that that's a really great way to, to show who Chow is and the way he thinks and the way he thinks about his brothers and sisters, so he calls them. I think he feels a great amount of responsibility towards them. And I do know that in the future, he would like to open up a shop and hopefully try to employ, you know, kids without without a chance or at least without a certain amount of drive that he had or luck or whatever you want to call it. Wow. So. He clearly is someone who dreams big. And I, I yeah. like the... <laughs> I like the example you just mentioned when you said, you know, the nurses, they mean well, but they're limited by their thoughts. And we are all limited by our own thoughts. And I think that is just, that is so beautiful when someone, you know, with constraints, uh, you know, physically, but is, uh, you know, very, still very mindful uh, in a way that I feel like art, creating art is meditation for Chow, even though I'm sure that he doesn't think of it that way, not like you said in like, you know, um, sort of first world problem, like we have our iPhone app and that's how we, <laughs> you know, sitting on the perfect pillow with candles and, but for him, that's how he finds himself, finds his voice and he's able to articulate that. I just, I find that to be very beautiful. Yeah, yeah, no, he, um, no, he really is, he is, he's, he's inspired me a lot too, you know, and I, you know, again, um, it's kind of the beauty about being young, you know, you don't really, you're not out there yet struggling in the real world and you, you have your dreams and I think that if you can hold on to them and they're strong enough by the time you project yourself out into the, more of the hardship, maybe you do have a bit of a better chance, but I think it was kind of the beauty of the kids, like a kid's perspective and being young and being innocent and being pure. I think the next segment of uh, a set of questions I hope to uh, ask you is really related to you because I'm fascinated by your story as much as I, uh, just as much as I'm fascinated by Chow's story. And, um, And part of me feels like if there are more people like you uh, who are just so curious about other people's lives and in this case it's not even you know uh, your neighbors next door but you've gone a long way to Vietnam and uh, you know as a woman traveling by yourself or possibly with a friend so that's a decision you've made so I, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about your origin stories meaning you know where where did you grow up and where you know who has who, who sort of have influenced you the most as a as a child well i i grew up in south florida i was born um i was born and raised in fort lauderdale florida and my whole life growing up um i was came from a very active family and i grew up as basically a very good athlete those were always where my talents were but I was a huge reader. Um, I don't know why, but books and that just was my my thing. Um, so basically, the real reason that kind of really projected me into film was that um, I was doing well athletically, good grades, everything in high school. And when I was 17 years old, I had two of my best friends pass away in a car accident. Um, you know, nothing. It was a total freak accident, um, mm-hmm. and. When that happened, um, I kind of realized that I, I, I too could die very young. I grew up in like a Catholic school, mm-hmm. and 
I just was kind of doing what was right. You know, as the captain of my teams, I, I'd always really wanted to get into theater or do something, not necessarily act. I just wanted to be a part of something creative. And when my friends passed away and I saw that there was no real justice, not like they were drinking and driving or anything. And um, they just, you know, there was a crash. And um, when they died, I just uh, said, I have to do what I need to do with my life and not care what anybody else thinks. And I just need to go for it because that could be me. Mm-hmm. And um, and so, yeah, so I applied to UCLA Film School, um, or not the film school, but the actual school. Mm-hmm. And I got in. And then uh, the way UCLA works is that it's a, you know, two years of a regular um, degree, and then you can do it, get into film school. And I was uh, one of the 15 students that got in. Wow. And I just kind of went for it. Um, I, you know, it was interesting. I think why I got into documentary first, um, again, this, you know, this being my first film, was that I had been outdoors my whole life, very active. My parents gave me a great childhood where I traveled a lot and I was able to see a lot of the world. And I think it created a curiosity in people and culture and what, what really connects us all. And that's kind of been something that's kept me going is that I'm very interested in not necessarily exposés or I, I really love the human psyche like what is it that drives us like because it is such an interesting conundrum especially when you grow up religious which I'm not anymore mm-hmm. but you know to get to the origin point of humanity or what are, you know what are the three questions it's um, why are we here uh, where are we going and uh, where did we come from mm-hmm. and those have really always kind of driven me so I think it was kind of a mixture of a lot of like life and death experiences in my life that made me just kind of really wanted to get to the core of certain, you know, aspects of humanity. And luckily, Chow was just the first person who really came into my life. And, um, and yeah, and I hope that the film kind of tries to get to a certain extent to to who he is and what drives him and everything like that. But yeah, I don't know if I particularly have per se any direct... I mean, if I really thought about this, I'd really have to think about influences. Um, but when I moved out to LA when I was 18 to come out here to school, it was such a different environment. And I got really introduced to cinema, which took over in my place of my love for books and theater. Mm-hmm. And um, I was just introduced to the works of, you know, of course, Stanley Kubrick, for example, that was huge for me. Um, Albert Maisel's, you know, different things like that. Um, you know, Grey Gardens, I'd never seen a movie like that. And, um, you know, any of Kubrick's work, A Clockwork Orange, which of course was a book adaptation for for lack of a better word. And uh, I don't know, those things really just drove me. They got to something about humanity that I wanted to explore. And I thought that, you know, film is just such an amazing medium and that it engages almost all of your senses. And it's such an immersive communal experience that really was mind expanding for me. So I guess I kind of really wanted to follow that. And um, I'm so happy that people are open to the movie that we made and, and that we've been getting the responses we have through Chow because that is a, a you know more so a very amazing thing for him but also I feel like I succeeded in trying to show the universal message beyond culture you know like whether um, you know your background is uh, you know for example China or you know Vietnam like there's a whole thing you know of course America and Vietnam have a very interesting relationship but what I wanted to do was just show the humanity of it. You know, mm-hmm. we're all human and we all struggle. And some of us have different struggles than others, mm-hmm. but we all really share the same, like, what's our purpose in life? And 
I don't know. So I think it was just an accumulation of all those things that really just made me that this is, I had no backup plan. This is what I wanted to do. Mm. You're, you're an artist. And what you had described and shared just now is exactly how I felt when I watched the trailer. I felt like you really, truly delved into the sort of the, the intricacies and sort of mysteries of human existence. And one of the mysteries, as I, you know, the question that I asked prior is like, how does someone be able to tell himself a different story when he's so young? You know, I remember when I was 15, I was largely influenced by everybody around me. I mean, we're, we're down to wearing the same type of jeans, the shoes, so we can yeah. fit in. You know, it's all about fitting in. And it's very much so even when you're well into college years and, you know, now in my early 30s. And I see many people, you know, it doesn't matter if you're working for an agency or financial service, everybody's trying to fit in. But Chow wants to break out, you know, he is different and he's not afraid to tell the world uh, otherwise. And so is your story in this case. So I, I must ask you what what type of uh, sports that you've been doing, because I, I personally, that's I feel like, you know, also as an artist, uh, sports, fitness, uh, very, very important elements of my life. Uh, personally, I'm, you know, into martial arts and, uh, you know, yoga, swimming and all that stuff. What's your, what's your deal? <laughs> <laughs> well, I grew up, um, I came from a surfing family, funny enough. So as a young kid, I grew up being a competitive surfer and what? basically, yeah, it was, um, it was pretty great. Um, my father, uh, really kind of had a surfing since we were like four years old and me and me and my younger brother and um yeah so that was kind of an amazing experience again traveling and getting to experience nature in such a way was really amazing and i still surf way you know as leisure only i don't not like a big wave charger or anything like that i just tend to take it easy but um i you know of course i played all the different sports although i was on all the boys teams like i was that girl i was such a tomboy growing up you know like on the baseball team i didn't want to play softball and you know it, it was fun flag football everything but when I got into school, um, I started uh, training as a cross-country athlete to get in shape for soccer. Mm -hmm. And then I got really, really good at it. And that kind of care, it changed, you know, and and what's interesting about cross-country is, and I, I should probably credit a lot of stuff to this, is that you're with yourself for such a long time in your head. Mm. It teaches you such discipline, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and how to deal with pain. And because that's really how I always looked at cross country running. I was like, okay, so this is like 18 minutes of pain, you know, for the race. Um, and just getting up and having to run before school or different things like that. I never loved it. It was more just like, you know, <laughs> I just, I did it. Um, which I think when I knew that I loved books and theater and different things like that, I knew I wanted to go in that direction. But I took a while off actually when I stopped cross country and track. I um, I took a while off and I realized that I really do need to, to work out and, and exercise in my life, probably because of the type of person I am, but moreover for the creative release. Mm -hmm. As I'm sure you know, you spend so much time alone with yourself oh my God. Um, that actually I don't enjoy running by myself. I actually go to a spin class. Like that's like my thing. I don't know what it is, but mm -hmm. I, that is my jam. <laughs> I love music. I love to dance and I feel like that's just like a dance class or something. But um, mm. I just do that now. Um, and, you know, long walks. But I think anything that's kind of a community for me that gets me out of my creative bubble um, is really, really beneficial to my health and 
of course, every once in a while going surfing is always takes you away from everything. So that's incredible because I think in order to be able to deliver and execute, you really need a healthy body that your body is so much more than just a device that carries your, your head around, you know, and um, I couldn't imagine that you're a surfer. That's that's one thing. I used to be a, yeah. a skater, skateboarder, and, and oh, then... that's another thing. Actually, oh. I used to do inline skating. That was like the best years of my life. But it became very uncool really quickly. So I, had, <laughs> I could never never champion the skateboard. So I'm very uh, I'm in the presence of greatness. <laughs> I did, oh please, I I think you know. I, I remember when I moved to the States when I was 16, I was considered to be a pretty decent skater back in China, Beijing, China. And it was, I was one of the, f I believe I was one of the few like first skaters, uh, even in the city like Beijing. But the moment I moved to um, US, I was very lucky to be, uh, I'm still living on the East Coast, obviously. And uh, here, I remember when I, a first year in college, I would skate and you would meet these guys who were, you know, 18, 19, who start skating. Uh, just very recently and I was like wow you know I started when I was nine years old and then you know my job after I graduated took me to all these places in particular LA uh, San Francisco but especially oh, yeah. San Diego oh my god San Diego it's like every living person is on a skateboard I mean you know th it's a, such a different uh, grade of skaters and it's just incredible it's like a heaven to me <laughs> so. yeah it's it's a, a totally a different level out here it's pretty wild yeah for that part is is for sure and this this is very interesting like once you learn uh, someone I, I just feel like if you are here in the room with me I think we'll have a, a really you know we'll be able to hang out and, and talk to each other and what I this is very different than you know when we make assumptions about people because when I saw the pictures of you on on the website and then uh, and then some of the other I believe just screenshots from the film festivals and I didn't really see a tomboy in that person but the moment I saw you you know on screen I was like oh that's <laughs> it's like oh, a, yeah. yeah two different people completely oh yeah I, I uh, definitely grew up um definitely grew up as a tomboy I'm, I'm still I mean you know I am who I am but uh, definitely got that um, <laughs> that tomboy in me I'll never die <laughs> yeah I think it's better I think when I if I were to have daughters later on I thought about that I if she wants to be a tomboy I'll support her fully you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> you have to and then too in, in this industry it works out good uh, for me at least because um, not to say that tomboys are tougher than other people but mm -hmm. there is that element that maybe is slightly more approachable for men that mm -hmm. is kind of you know hey I used to play on a guy's sports team so who are who are you you know yeah, <laughs> that's right like that. So funny you said that because I, I was also playing ice hockey on the boys team and that was oh, certainly very yeah. challenging. Oh, very difficult because ice hockey is a serious. I played that too, and that's a. I couldn't stay actually in ice hockey because the boys were so intense. And did you have the same experience? Oh, very very intense. We we're talking about on the east coast up in uh, Freiburg, Maine. You know, it's like Boston. This whole New England area, people are really uh, into hockey. And maybe not as much so as like Minneapolis or Chicago or some, you know, somewhere. But here, because it's you know because of the weather, and that's like the the go-to sport for uh, many, I, I guess many families. So for it, just like just like skateboarding in San Diego, you know, it's very very competitive here. So I was in high school, and uh, 
uh, I remember playing hockey with a not only on the boys team but against another another boys team from this place called Bridgeton Academy it's academy dedicated to hockey players and raising professional hockey players so oh <laughs> such an experience that I think this yeah probably write a book on that I, I know I should I should really write about some of these stories uh, so you know I was thinking what is the desired outcome um, for doing what you do what what do you what do you hope people would get out of chow what do you think what what is the walk away or takeaway that you want them to have from from chow i think the thing for me kind of that i mentioned before that i want to take away is that you know agent orange is a very um it's a touchy subject that a lot of people don't want to talk about because there's a lot of pointing fingers and a lot of like you you know america should give money to vietnam and mm-hmm. you know um you know, a lot of lawsuits, it's been a nasty history. And I think what I would love people to go in, there's two things. One, I would love for an audience member to get to the point where they could see the kids as kids and not as victims or not as different. They have their own goals and dreams. They they fight over candy. They love soccer, you know, like they're kids. Mm-hmm. And so many people have trouble with that. And, and I just hope that I wanted to create the experience I had where at first you look at them and you notice a difference and then it slowly fades away. You slowly become immune to it and you realize that they're just kids. Mm-hmm. And the second one would be, you know, I hope that Chow's story is universal, that it's a bridge into this Agent Orange issue and that, you know, what happened in the past happened and there's tragedies that happen in war. And I can't say, you know, I can't blame anybody, say it was right or wrong or anything mm-hmm. like that. I wasn't in the war. I wasn't the one making the decisions. I don't know what was at stake and, you know, nor do I, I, I wasn't there for it. Mm-hmm. For me, it's about Agent Orange affected, it affects everyone, you know, included in the war and Americans, Vietnamese, you know, and we should focus right now and use Chow as an inspiration of, you know, what is our present situation and what can we do in the future to make it better? I'm just a big fan of looking towards kind of the positive aspect of it, just like Chow did. Like he put the blinders on, he never focused on what he didn't have. He looked at what he could have. And the way I want to kind of, I would hope audience to look at this is to say, you know, we're so similar in so many ways, beyond culture, beyond physicality, everything like that. And also let's not look at the past anymore, but like, let's look at the future and like, and let's see what we can do. And I think that that would be the thing to focus on. And and I would hope that it engages people on such a level and, of course, to inspire them. Because if Chow could do it, like, I seriously, like, (laughs) you know, there's not a ton of excuses anymore. You know, I I get frustrated sometimes when, geez, I stub my toe. I mean, it takes Chow maybe six minutes to open up a sliding glass door. I mean, the patience that he has and the, you know, I would hope that, you know, those would just all be things that people could really, really take away from the movie. That's that's amazing. I, you know, I, <laughs> I think you answered another question uh, of what you, what you wish people would ask you, but haven't yet. You know. Oh yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, you go to these festivals, people will probably have there are some questions very pointed, like you said before. But I think one of the questions that you wish, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but one of them would be, you know, what can we do? What can we do today? What's our involvement? Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's actually what I would wish because right now we're getting very involved in these activism screenings that, again, we're trying to 
encourage Congress to continue the spending in Vietnam to clean it up. And the exciting thing is that the end is in sight. Um, you know, the affected families is a whole other thing. But I say, you know, let's let's do one check at a time. Mm-hmm. And I think it was, yeah, how, how can I get involved? And seriously, is, is it's as simple. And what we're starting to do at our activism screenings is we have this letter that will soon be able to be downloaded off of our website mm-hmm. that literally you just can sign and it just encourages Congress and you send it into your congressman. And basically that would that it just it's on their mind and you know it, it it says hey you know we're proud that this is happening we're proud as americans to be finally putting an end to the lasting effects of the, this war mm-hmm. and then you know that's kind of you know and of course there's certain ngos and different things like that i mean yeah of course you can donate but we're also trying to get high schools um kind of involved with trying to go over to the camps and integrate with the kids because mm-hmm. integration with the outside world and different cultures is such a valuable such a valuable thing no matter who you are so it's kind of like we're just really starting to bring it to light but the congress is really what's where it's at right now because if we can clean up that air base so much will will change i really like the, the yeah i really like the idea of integrating high school kids in the u.s because there are opportunities and certainly a lot of models, existing models you can uh, mimic as well, like volunteer opportunities, uh, in especially in uh, East and, and South uh, South Asia. So I think yes. that would definitely be worth pursuing. And there may be organizations can really support you as well and just kind of put that structure in place. Yes, absolutely. And And another really great thing is, you know, too, just from experience, I mean, you know, people always say, oh, when you volunteer, it changes your life. And I went and I volunteered and it really actually did change my life. And it was the happiest I'd ever been. It was hard, you know, and by no means was it was it easy in any way. But the amount of information and, and how that helped me grow up was just such a valuable thing. I have a younger brother who's 16 mm-hmm. and um, and we're, we're, you know, we talk about that often and, and um, he's involved with, the, with this um, film as well. And, you know, I just think it is such a valuable experience. Of course, there's study, studies abroad and different things like that. But what's so interesting, too, for, an, a, you know, American kids is that this is an issue that we are directly related to. Mm-hmm. You know, like this is the this was the Vietnam War. It's a, such a talked about event, you know, I mean, and it would just be an amazing thing to you know, I learned so much when I was over there, you know, and even just to go and immerse yourself in a culture is just such it's beyond what a textbook can teach you. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a feeling, so it would be an amazing thing. Yeah, uh, for sure. That's This is exactly what I tell my friends who uh, travel to Asia in particular. You know, they're saying that, you know, we feel like we're learning a lot, reading a lot about China, you know, Vietnam these days. I'm like, but you have to go because it really you, it's such a different uh, engaged sensations, you know, within yourself to learn a culture just by being there because Otherwise, you know, stories told outside of the country are always going to be so drastically different than how you experience it yourself. Absolutely. And, you know, with Facebook and the advent of the Internet and the amazing thing of, of a certain amount of universality that's happening with the Internet and different things like this, I feel like it could be because you can keep in touch with people now, mm. you know, and and what's so and why, you know, I really fell in love with Vietnam, with with the with the weather. I mean, I am coming from Florida, so I love humidity, <laughs> but the food and the people and it is a, an amazing experience to go somewhere where you don't speak the language and observe, you know, and observe not not in a like, you know, obviously a crazy outsider way, but just to be immersed in something that you're not 100 percent 
aware all the time of what's going on, but it allows you to kind of shut the clat the clatter out and or the clutter out and uh, really just see something for what it is. And you know, over time, of course, you become so much more immersed. But it's invaluable. I totally agree. Yeah, be be completely present and have your devices turned off and just kind of absorb、uh, with your own eyes. And、yes. So I wanna I wanna close on the interview with a with a few、um, takeaways also for some of my listeners who tell me that it's so incredibly helpful and insightful to understand that you know what it takes to to become the guests on my show and and、uh, for your information that the the ages of my guests kind of span a, a pretty pretty good deal here so you're certainly on the younger side of my my guests and okay. <laughs> <laughs> But I think we, if you don't mind sharing sort of your、uh, experience now being as a director of、um, documentaries, and in particular, you know, one question would be, you know, what is your what is a day in the life of、uh, Courtney? <laughs> <laughs> well,、uh, probably what's more interesting is when we were when we were editing the film, and it and it really changed throughout some throughout so much. But I'm a big fan. I'm an early riser.、Um, wow. I I like to wake up early. I have I'm kind of like have gotten into this routine. But when we were in our last stages of editing the movie,、um, that changed quite a bit. We would I would wake up. I literally would go to the problem is is because I work in my own home. It's it's a little hard to kind of find any type of re and I can relaxation. I tend to be kind of a workaholic. In the beginning when we were editing the film,、um, like I said, I wake up early.、Um, How early? <laughs> Oh, it's not that bad. Six thirty,、okay. and then you know, some. That's early for me, but、uh, compared to how late we would stay up at night, and then, you know, I have my my regular routine, and I would kind of just go、um, and sit and just watch footage, watch footage, you know, pull clips, everything, and then、um, Dewey, my translator, would come over. We'd work for multiple hours. I'd work out at night and. Try to figure out, you know. Then you'd start to write because you're trying to write the stories. Like we have a whole, you know, wall just full of note cards of,、um, you know, plot points. Oh, crazy wall! The, <laughs> crazy wall! Absolutely a crazy wall. And、um, our whole apartment was just covered in note cards at one point. And then、um, towards the ending of the film, I was working with a with a co-writer、um, just for an objective point of view, someone who really understood structure. And we would try to like, you know, really work Chow's story out to.、Um, What it needed to be enough room to breathe, but you know, to cut away certain things. Maybe I felt protective over. You know, they say kill your darlings,、mm-hmm. and that was a whole different thing because he works at night. So then it was a whole different schedule. It's a lot, of, a lot of adjusting. Is probably what I'm going to say. My routine is, we would start work at 8 p.m. and work till like 4 a.m.、Mm-hmm. Oh、and、goodness. it would just be like, you know, that's not my deal. But I tend to not be able to sleep in, so it was a lot of sleepless nights. But it was worth every second of it. We really finished this like right before we wanted to try to qualify it for the Oscars, and we finished it right at the last moment. And、um, it seems like our hard work paid off. So I guess my routine, a day in the life of me, is really adjusting、um, to whatever that day needs. But I'll tell you what: there's always a cup of coffee in it. Mm-hmm, There's、mm-hmm. and there is always、uh, at least an hour of working out and trying to get at least you know some time out there in the sunlight. So nice, wow. So what are? It sounds very fun, and I hope、uh, my listeners feel the same about having the crazy wall, having no cards. It's a very active, collaborative, creative process. 
which sounds good, sounds great to most people. What are what are some of the themes of the challenges uh, that you have experienced, and how do you recommend that one could overcome them? And you know, basically how how you overcome some of them. Well, I think that the main thing is when you're working with other people, everyone's going to have an opinion.、Um, I think that. There's one thing you always have to know what your movie, what story you're trying to tell, and always stick to it. And we would have that log line up on the wall, and that that's your that's your you know your that's what you always go to.、Um, I think that the hardest thing, absolutely, working in a movie is personality and spending so much time with people. Because even the people you love at moments at 4 a.m. in the morning, you'll hate or at, <laughs> you know you'll be annoyed with, or you know when when you're day seven, you know straight through working, and you know you. You see, you realize someone made a mistake, you know, or something. You, it's easy to get irritated because everyone's tired. You know, it's、mm-hmm. when everyone starts to get tired, that's when things happen. And I think that the main thing is you always have to ask yourself, what is not the best for me, but what's the best for the film? You、mm-hmm. always have to go back to that. You, you, you know, maybe someone is getting your nerves, but you know that what they're onto, even though it may get all your nerves, is. Is right for the movie. Like you have to let them express themselves, and you have to let them do that. And it, and you know, if you can persevere through just certain, you know, ego kind of like ego trends. And I'm talking about ego in myself. You know, like when my ego is kind of like, oh well, that's not right, or this isn't right, or blah blah blah. I think it's just mainly focusing on the movie. You know, what is right for this movie? And bite your tongue if you need to, but what is right for the film?、Mm-hmm. Not what's right for you. Not what's you know not going to hurt anybody's feelings. Just What is going to make the best movie at the end of the day,、yeah. and I think that that's just something in a collaborative experience that everyone goes through. And in all honesty, it's just everyone's being you know creative, and of course there can't be too many cooks in the kitchen. But you want people to be able to explore their potential.、Mm-hmm. So I think as long as you keep the main goal and you you always remember your goal,、mm-hmm. I think that that's the way to get to it. Yeah, true north、it、sounds like Chow is. The film itself is a true north, and and everybody, <laughs> you know, can <laughs> can、yeah. really know what to aim for. And I think when you have a goal like that, it really helps the entire team. Yeah, because it's so special. Yeah, we were just you know it was really four of us. It was myself, my producer Jerry Frank, my co-writer、um, Marcelo Mitnick, and Dewey, who was like my. She did camera work. She did some edits. She mainly did all the translating. But it was really the four of us. Having you know, it was a passion project. Like no one, like no one was really getting paid. We were just all here in my apartment trying to make this happen. And I think there's a testament to to the care of those people、um, to really make this you know be what it is. It really was a collaborative effort. So where where do you go from here?、Uh, the the film is pretty much done. I can find an IMDb. You're you're already very active in the in the film festivals. So what is the、uh, Not ultimate, but what is an ideal outcome of a production company picking it up, spreading the word, scheduling events? Like I, I'm not as familiar with all that.、Um, so basically, we're we're doing festivals. I'm actually leaving on Tuesday to go to a festival in my hometown of Fort Lauderdale, which I'm very excited about. And we're starting basically a series of activism screenings. Um, where I basically paired with、um, very prominent people in the cleanup, and we'll be hosting screenings and doing Q and A's. So we have one on December third in LA, and then we're coming to New York with one, and we'll kind of see where that takes us. But we're trying to just basically ra- raise awareness about the topic,、mm-hmm. talk about you know disability and independent living, and really just show Chow's artwork.、Um, I've been selling Chow's artwork on our website. 
Mm. And that's been, um, you know, because he's, that's how he makes his money and um, he's been doing really fantastic. And then basically um, what a really great thing for, for us was recently is that um, the uh, Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Sciences released um, a press release that um, basically the way um, it works is that certain amount of documentary short films um, are submitted to the Academy for Oscar consideration. Mm and uh, they select 10 that are put on what's called a shortlist and then out of those 10 they'll select five in january and we are one of those 10. so on january 14th we'll find out if in fact we'll be nominated for an oscar um so we're very excited about that and the level of um the level of just press it's brought to us has been so great because so many more people are just getting involved and wanting to know more about the subject matter and I know it's a really big thing for those who have been working on this for so long. Mm-hmm. It's been a very thankless process, not many people know. And so it's been just a really exciting time to kind of travel and meet such dedicated, I mean, you know, I am nothing compared to these people who have dedicated their, their lives to the cleanup, mm-hmm. to, you know, to the voices that are so unheard. Mm-hmm. And um, so really just becoming involved with that and starting kind of a more activism stage in the, in the film. Mm, wow. So you made it to the top 10. And how many yes. films were considered? Um, I think it was about 100. Oh, yeah, wow. that were that qualified. Yes. So there's um, only a 10% chance and you got it. So yeah, yeah, we were very excited. And, you know, we did it all by ourselves. So, you know, we didn't, um, you know, we were just burning, we had to turn in like 50 DVDs, and we were just burning it here by ourselves. And oh, wow. Yeah, so it was a really like you know you, we felt like it was because our movie was good and that was a great feeling. What what are the chances of you being able to come to Boston as well? Oh, I'm in Boston, oh, by the way. We're, yeah, we're actually um, we just entered a film festival. We just submitted to a film festival in Boston, Which... and it is called the Boston Independent Film Festival. I know that they do a lot of really big documentaries, so our fingers are crossed. Wow, please keep me posted on that. And, Absolutely. <laughs> and I think Boston is its really a, is a really interesting city for this type of work. And I know everybody wants to go to New York. I know all the authors I interview want to, uh, I mean, not want to end up in New York. It's almost like a, it's a required stop. So um, I think Boston is kind of this hidden gem in support <laughs> independent films. And as I'm walking down the street every day, I'm seeing that there are uh, documentaries featured and even the museum of fine art uh, every month they will feature certain documentaries and that's that's just huge because they really have the spaces and um, the people who are already there to be part of part of this movement yeah I've been wanting to go to Boston actually my grandmother's from Boston and I've never been oh. there which is so sad but she says she still has the accent and I have a lot of <laughs> friends actually up there and uh I've heard amazing things about it. So we're really just crossing our fingers and it would just be such a really kind of like one of the places I've been wanting to visit the most. So it would just be fantastic. Oh, it's so lovely talking to you, Courtney. And I, I really, really believe in what you do. And I know I'm not alone and I know it's a, it's a long and uh, it's a long journey. And I hope you continue to do this and just produce many other films and just continue to do what you love. To listen to more episodes of the Face World podcast, please subscribe on iTunes or visit faceworld.com. 
that is F-E-I-S-W-O-R-L-D, where you can find show notes, links, other tools, and resources. You can also follow me on Twitter at FaceWorld. Until next time, thanks for listening.